Many millennia ago, at the peak of Mount Hermon in the Golan Heights, a group of divine beings known as the Watchers, or Sons of God, descended in an act of rebellion against their king, Yahweh. By teaching them the secret knowledge of the cosmos, they sought to wrestle dominion of the earth away from humanity. They bore children with them, and their offspring were both human and divine. These giants are the demigods of old, and the events that transpired would forever alter the course of human history. At Camp Hermon, we discuss the oddities of the ancient world and their lingering impact on our world today. Welcome. Good evening, folks. It's your friendly neighborhood PhD, Dr. Chud Burton, filling in for Tori on this intro because in her words, she is elbow deep in the pie-making process. But tonight on Camp Ramon, you'll want to tune in and listen to Chris's interview with Tim from Australia, who is a satanic ritual abuse survivor. And as this is pertinent and timely with spiritual warfare implications, you'll definitely want to keep this a close listen. I'm joined today by Tim. He's from Adelaide, Australia, or Australia, I believe is the correct, the, the correct pronunciation. And, and Tim is a satanic a survivor of satanic ritual abuse. And so, Tim, thanks for joining me, man. How are you doing? I'm well, Chris. Thank you very much. And just wanted to say thank you very much for having me on the show and giving me the opportunity to share my story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm happy to happy to have you, man. So you have already shared a little bit about your story with me when you you reached out and said that you wanted to to come on and have this conversation. And so without me regurgitating some of what you already told me, I just want to, as I say, give you the floor and just tell yeah. us about your story, man, what you've been through. It's it sounds like it's been quite a journey. Yeah, it has. Um, probably the best place to start is that all my Christian life, oh, actually, I should say all my life, I have been seeing demons. I've had them manifest in front of me. I've been physically assaulted by them. I used to be absolutely petrified of them. I'm not anymore. That being said, I my story really, to info that I've had, my story really started when I was two years old. My mum and I was raised Catholic, um, but my mum was uh, definitely, both my mum and dad were true believers. Um, but I got gastroenteritis when I was two years old and I was born in the north of my state in a small town so you had no hospitals or anything up there then and I was rushed in the back of dad's car with the doctor working on me um, from our town down to Adelaide to get me into hospital and almost died and on the way my mum prayed a prayer and that was lord if you love tim more than me then you deserve the right to him and i surrender him to you 
to me, that was my mum having an Abraham and Isaac moment, and I survived. There's a lot more to do with my ancestry that I am still to uncover, but I do very much believe my um, there's more in my ancestry, I'll, I'll put it that way, that led me to where I am today. That, I guess uh, I, I could put this in here, that my original family name is Krakenhail. Um, we had a, a distant relative that did our family tree and researched 650 years of our family tree. And we discovered we all originated from uh, Norfolk and Suffolk in East Anglia in England, that all the people of my surname bar two families in Australia were all related uh, by one couple that settled here in 1848 in Adelaide. I've studied the etymology of my name, and for me it was a little distressing because the Kraken is a sea monster. It's a sea monster that was recorded as appearing off the coast of Norway. Um, I think it was back in the 1700s. And from what I was able to dig up, it looks like it was basically a giant squid. But I've always had a, a, an interest in trying to work out when you look at the writings of H.P. Lovecraft, his Cthulhu mythos. It's always a squid-like creature. But then there's the other part of my name, which is Hale, H-A-L-E. That comes from a proto-Germanic word, which oh, I'm just trying to think. It's Old English and proto-Germanic. But that also... Uh, is the same word that was used in the Nazi salute, Zig Hale. And I'm thinking, what kind of ancestors I did I have that hailed a sea monster? I don't know the full connections there. I often, I, I'm a really, really great fan of Derek and Sharon Gilbert and all the research they've done in their books. And I did ask this question of Derek, but he hadn't come across it. And that was, is there any relation between the Kraken, this sea monster, and Leviathan, the chaos dragon, both permeating the seas? And he, Derek hadn't actually come across anything at this point. So, but it makes me wonder whether there is something connection there or maybe I'm just clutching at straws. I'm a person I've always got to dig things up. There's got to be a reason for everything. So I don't know exactly what's in the depths of my ancestry um, that may have opened doors for the enemy to do what it's done in my life. Um, but we do know that there is definite Freemasonry in my past, uh, my family line, that uh, one of our ancestors was one of the early pioneers that settled the colony of South Australia. His name was Enoch Fry, and he settled a station which is 
was north of Adelaide, but it was north of Adelaide at the time. Where I'm living now, it's actually south because the city's expanded so much. But that was called uh, his station, which is, I'm trying to think, the US equivalent for a station. Like a station's like a very, very large ranch. And uh, they would have uh, had sheep there. And that was called Nailsworth. That is actually today the suburb and Nailsworth. And he was a very dubious, despicable character to the point that his wife petitioned the courts. Now, keep in mind, this is in the 1800s. His wife petitioned the court for a divorce because he was so violent and so bad, and the court granted her petition. So you've wow. got to be pretty pretty bad for a court in the 1800s to grant a petition a divorce. Right. Yeah. So there, these little connections that I haven't, like, connected all the dots yet, but I'm working on it. Um, the first manifestation I had was when I was four years old. I went down for my afternoon nap in my cot, which I think you guys in the US call a crib. Is that right? Yep, yep. yep. Crib, yeah, where a baby will sleep or a young child. Yep. Um, so I was in my cot and I woke up from my afternoon sleep and I saw this figure. Now, I've always referred to this figure as a frogman, not because he looked like a frog. A frogman because he was completely black. And I took that uh, term from, have you ever seen old World War II movies from the 1940s where divers went in and they were all done up in the rubber wetsuits mm -hmm. and they were referred to as frogmen. That's yeah. where I got the term from. Um, that was the best way my young mind at that stage could uh, process what was happening. But when I saw this entity, I was so filled with terror and sheer dread and I was screaming and hollering and, yeah, it was not pretty. And one of the things that filled me with fear so much, he was actually outside the bedroom window, but I knew outside the bedroom window there was an open pit to a cellar or a basement and there was no ladder or anything there and the opening wasn't covered and it was a five-foot drop. So it was impossible for any person to be standing in the position this entity was standing in to be staring at me through the window when there's nothing there for him to stand on. I don't remember anything else about that occurrence. I have spoken to my mum, who's passed away now, um, about it. She has no recollection of this event at all. But that 
doesn't really surprise me because there was a lot of things. There was damage in my mum's past and there were suppressed memories there. Um, I guess you could say my next encounter was when I was about nine years old. Now, keep in mind, my whole experience of God to this point was through the Catholic Church, and I believe that the only way you could communicate with God was through the medium of a priest. And there was just this one day I wanted to um, I wanted to be close to God. So I went and got statues from my parents' bedroom and other iconography, set them up on the dressing table in my brother's bedroom and pretended to be a priest and celebrate Mass. God saw the innocence of my heart in that this was the attempt of a nine-year-old boy reaching out to him and the Holy Spirit filled my bedroom and I was just in absolute awe and the incredible peace I felt and it was just, it's almost as if he was saying, Tim, I hear you and I'm happy. But then things start taking a bizarre turn. With, as I said to you in our previous conversation, I do not have a smoking gun in my memories of the actual abuse that took place um, or the rituals that were done. They're still locked up in my uh, subconscious, for lack of a better term. Um, I am working with a, a really good psychologist and um, we're going to go through EMDR therapy next year to try and recover those memories and anything else that's locked away. But in that there's all these questions because there are, oh, sorry, I should say that, as I said to you previously, that over 90% of the first 13 years of my life is complete amnesia. So the memories I do have are very fragmented. Um, but I've always asked questions about certain behaviours I recall. How did I know to do certain things? To give you an example, how does a 10-year-old boy that's been raised in a nominal Christian home that it's never been exposed to anything to do with the occult. How does that 10-year-old boy know how to go down in a pit in the ground, array candles around him, light those candles and start worshipping demonic demigods? A 10-year-old boy should not know how to do that. Um, then there's other fragmented memories of all the games that I played, well, most of the games I played with other kids and uh, things that other kids did too in our hometown were all of a sexual nature, homosexual or hetero, it was both, but they were all of a sexual nature. And this was not 
little kids exploring their bodies, these were getting quite intimate, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Kids should not know how to do that stuff. So, yeah, so there's that question. Do you, what you're describing sounds like, and you could tell me if you have an official diagnosis, I suspect you do, but do you have disassociative identity disorder? Yes, I do. Okay. And, yes, and for, I do. For anyone listening, I'll just read off the the definition of that according to the clevelandclinic.org. So disassociative identity disorder or DID, obviously it's a mental health condition and it's and someone with DID has multiple distinct personalities and the various identities control a person's behavior at different times. So the condition can cause memory loss, delusions, or depression. And DID is usually caused by past trauma. And in this case with Tim, what he and I'm assuming his psychologist have identified the source of this trauma is from satanic ritual abuse. Yeah. And I should say I'm very blessed at the moment to have the psychologist I've got. Um, she is not Christian, but she had a client come to her some time ago that she's still working with um, that identified herself as a victim of satanic ritual abuse. And rather than dismiss it out of hand, which is the general attitude of the medical fraternity here, um, she went and did her own independent investigation on this girl's claims. And she independently verified everything this girl said was true. So she started treating. I come along, I'm my psychologist's second client she now has a third client that, and she says the thing that amazes her, us three have never met each other. We don't know who the other is. We've never met, but we're all saying exactly the same thing. Right. And she said, if I'm just one normal everyday psychologist and I'm dealing with three cases, how many more cases are out there that are not being treated. And yeah, that's that's a grave concern to me. Yes. So, and I've always had things where um, if my, my parents were, grew up believing in blind faith, you do it because the church tells you to do it and you don't question it. Oh, sorry, that that thinking just never worked for me. You tell me not to do something and you don't give me a reason why, then I'm going to go out and do it and find out why for myself. Uh, that ended up getting me in a great deal of trouble. Um, but I always had these incredible leanings to the occult and horror stuff. I think every Friday night on TV, they would show the Christopher Lee Dracula movies. I've seen every one of them. There was another TV show called Cat Weasel that um, was an absolute favourite of mine. 
and that was about a medieval monk who got transported through time to modern day. But this medieval monk was not your typical Christian monk. He was an occultist, um, and he befriended a young boy. Um, and then by the time, maybe I should give a little bit more background about my city. I consider my city that there is a, it's funny, I've just recently been watching, been watching the TV series Under the Dome. And that was actually a really apt description for what I consider is going on with my city, that there is a dark shadow that hangs over my whole city. And I'll go into the reasons why I believe that is. But I've discovered it that when I've travelled north, like going up to visit towns up in the north of my state, as you're driving out of the city limits, you get to a certain point and you drive out underneath this cloud. And all of it, it's really bizarre because all of a sudden the air is clearer, the sun is brighter, and everything just feels freer. I've also noticed when I've driven back into my city at a certain point, I re-enter that cloud and I immediately feel oppression. Now, I've said this to and many Christians and they've just boohooed it and said, oh, no, that's just you. Um, the interesting thing is I was discussing this in my last session with my psychologist. Now, keep in mind, she is not a Christian. And she said, Adelaide has a very dark, seething underbelly. Dark, seething underbelly. 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 Hey, guys, I wanted to take a second and tell you about a conference that I'm really looking forward to. And it's going to be presented by Through the Black with Tom Dunn, and it's called Out of the Darkness. It's a spiritual warfare conference taking place March 31st through April 1st, 2023 in Dayton, Ohio. And if you go to throughtheblack.com, you can get your tickets. And some of the presenters at this conference are going to be Tom Dunn, Dr. Gregory Reed, Vicki Joy Anderson, Colleen James, and Dr. Mike Spaulding. So again, go to throughtheblack.com and get information about this conference. Hope to see you there. And she said, Adelaide has a very dark, seething underbelly. And then I began to tell her about what I viewed as this cloud. And she actually said, when I said there's a certain boundary, she said, yes, it's a Port Wakefield which is a, a town further north. And I just went, yeah. And she actually, it just blows me away. Someone that is a non-Christian, but she recognises this spiritual oppression is over our city. Um, why I believe that is so. What we are not taught in our history books, Adelaide was originally... We're taught Adelaide was the first colony of free settlers in Australia. What we're not told is we were settled by Freemasons. And the charter for the establishment of a 
Grand Lodge of Freemasons in South Australia was signed in 1834, which had to do with the founding of the colony. Um, that charter, I've I've actually read it. It's hanging up in the walls of the uh, Masonic Grand Lodge in the CBD, and anyone in the public can go view it. Um, one thing I I really appreciated the Masons for. And that is in doing all my research, which I've been researching masonry for over 30 years, they actually let me go in there and use their own library of all their private books to do my research. They just didn't know I was researching to expose it. Mm. But, yes, yeah, so, and it's from here, uh, and South Australia was settled as the colony of South Australia in 1936. And it wasn't just the southern part of Australia. When um, the colony was settled, it was the whole middle of Australia. So what is now called the Northern Territory and underneath South Australia, all of that was a colony of South Australia. I wanted to ask you, so I've done a little bit, I mean, a very small amount of research on Freemasonry enough to know that it's a secret Luciferian organization. Yeah. Can you, do you mind explaining a little bit about the Freemasons okay. and kind of what they're about? Yep. Just to give you a brief rundown on the history. Out of my research, all modern day Freemasonry descended from the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar were the religious, um, uh, administrative and military arm of another organisation called the Priory of Sion. And they established the first um, Latin Frankish kingdom of the Holy Land in 1099 when they won Jerusalem back from the Muslims. The king of Jerusalem, although he refused to accept the title, was a man called that led the first crusade, uh, Godfrey de Bullion. And their whole belief system was basically that the wedding feast at Cana that Jesus attended and turned the water into wine wasn't a wedding that he attended, it was his wedding. And he was wedded to Mary Magdalene, and they sired a child. That um, after the crucifixion, for fear of their lives and fear of the child's life, they were smuggled out of the Holy Land by Joseph of Arimathea, and they settled in the shores of France. The um, that child's descendants established the Merovingian dynasty of France. Um, if people are fans of the Matrix, a lot of this is actually underwrites the whole story of the Matrix. So and I, I'm forcibly connecting a dot here because I haven't got anything concrete to back this up, but I've drawn the conclusion that Godfrey, being the first king of Jerusalem, was actually 
supposedly the descendant of this child, of Jesus' child, and therefore that's what gave him the right to be the king of Jerusalem. The Knights Templar blended their, so did the Priory of Sion, blended a belief system of Christianity, uh, Judaism, Islam, Persian Zarathustrianism, um, and Manichaeism. And they ended up spawning what in church history was regarded as the greatest threat to, to the church, and that was the Cathar heresy. And the Cathars, uh, which was a very populous uh, group of people at the time that the crusade was launched against them, believed in this, this belief system that came from the Templars. This is now just putting it, it also was, uh, it is connected directly back to the Babylonian and Egyptian mystery schools, which if we go on the biblical point of view, also connects directly back to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel of trying to bring back the Nephilim and become God-men. Their belief system spawned uh, the order of the Rosicrucians. The Rosicrucians, over time, ended up, there were a number of other secret societies called Christian unions, and they were in hiding from the Inquisition, and eventually they formulated and formed the Grand Lodge of England in 1717 and established the, over a period, short period of time, established the first three orders of free, uh, sorry, three degrees of Freemasonry called Blue Masonry. And um, basically that you're taught in the first degree that you are searching for the name of God, uh, the lost name of God, and eventually you find it. And you learn the name is Yabal On, which is an absolute blasphemy because it's Yah Baal, which is the Canaanite god, and On, which is another name for the Egyptian sun god. And it's saying all these three things is God. And you go through and make secret oaths when you join and you Take a note that you will never share the secrets that are revealed to you on penalty of death. So basically it is a, a Gnostic heresy and, um, sorry, just getting my thoughts right. Um, yeah, it, it's based on Gnosticism that you will have or you gain secret knowledge, which is what the word occult actually means. It's hidden knowledge or forbidden knowledge. And you, by going up in the degrees, you learn these secrets and it gives you more knowledge. And eventually you get to the point of enlightenment and you become like God, the original lie. So that's probably the the best summary 
I could put to it a little bit longer than I intended. No, that's good. Um, but it, I will say it formulates the foundations, I believe, for every form of occultism that we have in the modern world today. There are not specifically Freemasonry, but there are a whole many different varieties of, of masonry. You've got the masonry of the Grand Lodge, which is your first three degrees, that is blue masonry. Later, the fourth to the 32nd degree became known as spurious masonry, and that started with one of your countrymen, a man I'm sure you're familiar with the name of Albert Pike. Mm -hmm. Albert Pike, for those who don't know, was a Confederate general. He was an initiate in these mystery schools, and he started what is known as the Scottish Rite Freemasonry. And that was from the fourth to the 32nd degree. Albert Pike is a very interesting character because he is known as the father of all modern-day Freemasonry because he reformed Freemasonry. And he is also the founder of the Ku Klux Klan, along with Giuseppe Mazzini. He is also the founder of La Cosa Nostra that we know as the Italian Mafia. He is also co-founder of... I can never remember these names. I think it's the Society of the Green Glove or the Green Hand, uh, which we know as the Italian, uh, sorry, the Russian Mafia, and also the Society of the Red Dragon, which we also know today as the Chinese Triad. All these things are based in occultism. And organised crime is their currency, but they are all about going up in degrees and giving honour and worship to these demonic gods. Were you saying that Albert Pike had a hand in all of those organisations? Had a hand. Out of, the, out of the research I've done, there is Tom Horn at Skywatch TV, I bless him for this, has republished this work. I have a work by a lady called Lady... Uh, sorry, Edith Star Miller, Lady Queensborough, started a work with her father, and the book was ended up being published posthumously. But the book was a historical analysis of the founding of every secret society in modern history from uh, the Knights Templar onwards, and it covers all of them. And it goes into great detail about Albert Pike. And she actually lists things that his involvement in that. And there are other historical documents of his connections with Giuseppe Mazzini and their founding of La Cosa Nostra. So, yeah, that uh, also the, and this might get some people upset, but um, the Mormon Church is also by, all based on Freemasonry. Uh, Joseph Smith was a Mason that was expelled from his lodge and he formulated um, Mormonism based on what he'd learned from Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. You've also got Jehovah's Witness. 
Charles Taze Russell had started the Jehovah's Witness was also a Freemason. And Jehovah's Witness is all based on the same thing. So it spread out in different forms, but then you have the more specific specialised occult schools like the Golden Dawn, which was reformed under um, Alistair Crowley, probably the most infamous Satanist of the 20th century. Um, you've also got Ordo Templi Orientis. And these organisations are also built on the foundations of Helena Petrova Blavatsky that wrote the um, uh, multi-volume series on theosophy and founded the School of Theosophy. So, and very much, and I would say all modern occultism that we're seeing today is built on the foundations of Freemasonry, Blavatsky and Crowley. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, if anyone's done any research just into Crowley, you will know how extremely dark and evil all of this is, um, which is leads us to what we see in our world today of this global Luciferian elite. And, yeah, it's not just playing with Ouija boards or dabbling with this or that. It's very, very serious stuff, and it's mm -hmm. going back to the full-blown worship of Baal, of Molech, and whatnot, of the Canaanites. Right. So yeah. it, it's very, very evil. Mm -hmm. And so... so all of that brings us back to the area where you're from and grew up is founded yeah. by these people, these types yes. of people. Yes, yes. Now, the town that I'm from, out of the research that I've been able to do, and this come, information's come from different sources, there was definitely sexual abuse going on in the town. I've out of the research I've done, I've come to believe there was actually an active pedophile ring in the mm -hmm. town outside of myself. I have now uh, established or confirmed six other victims and two suspected victims. And one of the perpetrators that I knew personally, he was a practising Freemason, but the interesting thing is one of the perpetrators that someone else has come out and said who they were, and that was uh, one of the nuns at the convent where we went to school. So, and the fact that this was going on and nuns and clergy were involved doesn't astound me. I mean, We've got the whole uh, historical thing of, you know, clergy abusing children, and that's been exposed worldwide. What they don't expose, that this, although official Catholic doctrine says that, um, oh, sorry, I should say official canon law in the Catholic Church says that no Catholic can be a Freemason, 
there are also Masonic schools in the Catholic Church because that's the Knights Templar were Catholics. They were answerable to no one but the Pope. Their charter was written and established by Bernard of Clairvaux that we uh, Catholics called St Bernard today. So the Catholic Church was very, very much involved in the founding of all of this. Mm-hmm. So it does not surprise me on the spiritual level of clergy's involvement in this. And I've had unconfirmed reports of much more horrendous things of actual, um, uh, how can I put it, according to the testimony of Jesse Sabota, I've forgotten the name, there is a very prominent Catholic church in the US and underneath was the secret chamber where human sacrifices of children were being performed. And she's just stated this in her affidavit that I said that she's lodged with the Knoxville County Court. So, and then there's also, now this is where I need to be careful because I can't mention names. I will put it this way. On some level, I do not know what level, but on some level, um, that this ritualistic abuse that was going on also involved SAPOL. Now, for those uh, listeners in the US or elsewhere in the world, SAPOL is an acronym for South Australian Police. Mm. Um, There is an individual that um, is in prison now that was a very high up person in uh, South Australian society and they were done for pedophilia and they're now in jail. What's that person's name? That's public record or you don't want to say? It is, but I can't reveal it because the connection I'm making, I'm not going to say that other person's name. Sure. It's, It's the same name and I'm... I don't want to implicate anyone or accuse anyone of anything when sure. I've got no evidence to do so. So there are certain names that I will withhold. Gotcha. Except to say that, uh, and I've spoken with one of the other survivors just recently, and they had drawn the same conclusion as I had, that the police in our town may not have actually been participants but more likely they knew what was going on and did nothing thus making themselves complicit Mm -hmm. that being said though i can understand how if they did discover it how powerless they may have felt because this involved freemasonry freemasonry is in every level of government and power brokers, financiers. So the Freemasons in our town, the perpetrators, would have been those on the city council, um, those that controlled the town. You go report it to your superiors in Adelaide. Sorry, 
I just had a thought to clarify for our US listeners. We in Australia do not have county police. Okay, we do not have district attorneys. We do not have county police. What we have would be your equivalent to state police. So we've got one police force that oversees the whole state, and then we've got one federal police force, the Australian Federal Police, that oversee the nation. And I guess the the Australian Federal Police would be a, a loose equivalent to the FBI. And then we just have our state police. So yes, no, no county. So they wouldn't have been able to report to their superiors in Adelaide about what was going on because their superiors were all Masons and Masons are sworn to defend each other and get each other out of trouble. Uh, it's part of their oaths. And um, so, yes, it, how do you go? And, they very likely were perpetrators that were doing things here in Adelaide. So, yeah. Um, in that res- as I said, I, I've not spoken with these individuals, but, yeah, what I have done is spoken to two uh, retired police officers that are Christians now. They said, both said they left Saipol because corruption was so rife and they couldn't handle it. And they also said that um, I asked the question, was the connection between this person that's in jail, this high socialite, and the police from my town, the connection that exists, is it purely coincidental that that connection exists or is there more to it? Both police officers said to me the same word-for-word answer, and I asked them the question independently. There's more to it, and I refuse to say anything else. For me, their silence spoke volumes. Now, in relation to uh, in relation to our city as well, that. Um, there are a lot of other things. I actually, uh, because we were founded by Masons and those Masons held, I mean, sorry, the names of our streets in our CBD, they're named after these Masons who founded the colony. Um, they were very prominent people. They were the leaders of government when the colony was established. They were the leaders of banking. They have still held all those positions through the generations. Uh, As part of my research, the Masonic lodges, you normally would only get into a Masonic lodge if there was a relative and that relative recommended you to become an an initiate. But the numbers started dwindling quite severely in the 90s. So they started advertising in the local newspapers for people that were interested in becoming Masons to contact them. And I thought, what a better way to get information than straight from the horse's mouth. So I rang up and said I was interested in learning about Freemasonry. So they came around and 
had several visits with me and gave me some videos to watch. And one of them was of the installation of the Grandmaster of the Grand Lodge um, here in Adelaide uh, in 1994. I watched the video and I was horrified. There in the audience were all the heads of our government. Now, just to clarify, here we have premiers, okay? They are the ones that oversee the state. The premiers are the equivalent to your state governance, okay? But we also have governors, and they are the monarch's representative. So it's now King Charles III's representative here, and they basically rubber stamp everything that the government does. But the person in charge of the government is the Premier. I saw the South Australian governor at this installation, the Premier, other leaders of government, and I was shocked. And that confirmed to me how much power these people still wield in our society, but no one knows anything about it. What I did discover, it was interesting, the only person that wasn't there was our uh, deputy, was it deputy opposition leader, or he was he the opposition leader? Can't, can't remember. His name's Lynn Arnold, and Lynn Arnold wasn't there. Lynn Arnold's a Christian. But all these other government people and uh, police commissioner and, and whatnot, they were all there, and it's like, wow. But there are a lot of other dark, dark secrets here in my city. And I said to you in a, one of the previous texts, I believe there is something very spiritually significant about this city. One being, as I said, that we were founded by Freemasonry and Freemasonry spread from here to every other part of Australia. Two, we are the missing child capital of Australia. Still are. I don't know if you personally have um, seen on my Facebook page how many police bulletins I've posted of recent of the missing kids. That That's a huge number in such a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, we are also home of the infamous family. Now, to give you a rundown on the family, that is a term that has been used to describe a high-level group of socialites that are involved in pedophilia. Officially, it has been written off as conspiracy theory and it doesn't exist. But out of the researchers I've spoken to, and out of my own research, it most definitely does exist. I've come across, let's try and think, I won't, won't uh, identify them, but someone that I was talking to whose word I trust implicitly, 
they uh, had some mental health issues and were seeing a particular psychiatrist, an elderly gentleman, for quite some time. They struck up quite a friendship, and which is totally inappropriate, but this psychiatrist invited my friend out to dinner one night at a gentleman's club in the heart of our city. And he went there, he said it was a very prestigious place, really nice-looking place, sat down at a large table with all these other people that were doctors, lawyers, you know, judges there, very upper crust of society. And they had a wonderful meal. He said the conversation was great and I was really enjoying myself until after dinner. And they started sharing stories about how many little boys they've buggered of recent. And he just, he was horrified. He politely excused himself, left that club and never communicated with that psychiatrist again. That psychiatrist is now deceased. Um, and I said, bro, I personally believe you inadvertently stumbled on the family do you think that that they invited him there was that a way in telling those stories a way to intimidate him or just kind of a way to get their rocks off by telling the stranger all, all of these stories i'm look i could be wrong but i'm more personally inclined to think their goal was to initiate him okay, and draw him into their club. Um, but as I said, I could be wrong on that. I don't know. He's not, that person has not communicated any more about that incident. And I don't even think if I tried to talk to him today, I don't even think he'd be willing to talk about it. It, it really disturbed him. Sure. And when, when did this happen? Um, this would have been early, I can't remember the exact year, but early 2000s. Okay. Okay. So I kind of want to, I want to roll back a little bit. You had mentioned yep. when you were, I think you were 10 or 12, that incident, the incidents that happened there. Can you kind of pick yes. back up from, from yeah. that point and just... Okay, relating back to um, the family that I was very, very disturbed child that by the age I was of nine, my school said there is something seriously wrong with Tim to my parents and you need to take him to see a child psychiatrist of which my parents did. It's funny, to this day, I remember going into the waiting room at that psychiatrist. I remember playing with Lego in the waiting room. I remember going up to the door of her office. But once we went through that door, it's like I'm staring at a, bl a black canvas. There's no memory of anything that took place. There's no memory of anything that took place, that took place, that took place. 
Hey guys, thanks for joining us this week. Next week, I'm going to air part two of my interview with Tim, where he describes more about how he was involved in satanic ritual abuse and became a very proficient psychic medium and tarot card reader. And he even talks about what ultimately led him on this journey of coming out of this satanic ritual abuse and practices within the occult where he was possessed by his spirit guide. So stay tuned for that. Uh, If you like the show, if you guys would please like, share, give us ratings, subscribe. All of that kind of stuff helps us out, guys. Thank you so much.